Jam sandwiches are a summer thing, at least if you're over a certain age. In a time before snacks like cheese drinks, Nutri-Grains or Froobs, jam sandwiches were what you got if you were playing in someone's garden and you got them to pester their mother for food. No butter, no plate, just a jam sandwich eaten on the run back to the game. A beautiful piece of radio from Michelle Ernsting of Radio Netherlands Worldwide recalled jam sandwiches. Here's why. Just after Christmas 1994, a note was pinned to the door of a flat in Sandymount, Dublin. It advised callers not to enter the flat, but to call the Gardaí instead. Inside, the Gardaí found a dead body. A suicide. With the body were found notes with, among other things, details of arrangements made with undertakers for the burial of the body. There was no identification and the notes were signed Joseph K, a character from a Franz Kafka novel. A picture of the deceased's face was put in the paper and eventually he was identified. Noel O'Neill, aged 35, from Ballyfermot, Dublin. He was a postman who lived alone with his mother until her death six months previously, when his life fell apart. I went to his old neighbourhood and talked to his neighbours. One neighbour recalled him and how he played with all the other children in her back garden and ate the jam sandwiches she made for them when they pestered her. In that phrase, Noel O'Neill lived and died, although not as he wanted it, with a past and moments of belonging. The connection between that story and the Radio Netherlands piece will become clear as it unfolds. It really is a good piece of radio, and this is only an edited extract. I'll give you the details on how to hear the entire story at the end. It's presented by Michelle Ernsting. This is the St. Barbara Chapel on the edge of Amsterdam. It's sober, elegant, and almost empty. There's a coffin at the front of the chapel. Two men sit on either side of the aisle in the first pew. The man on the left places a bouquet of flowers on the lid of the casket. He also chose the music. The man on the right stands up and walks to the front. He's written a poem for the deceased. Er is een weg waar langs bij helder licht een dapper man die hard de internationale zingt met grote stappen voorwaarts gaat. Ontwaakt verworpenen uit de nacht die ons onzichtbaar maakt. Both men have spent a lot of time thinking about the person in the casket. Neither of them have ever met him. Every year in the city of Amsterdam, 15 to 20 people die alone. They have no friends or family to arrange a funeral. So in their absence, a civil servant and a poet hold a service to say goodbye.
My name is uh, Ger Fritz, uh, Jerry in, in English. I am now uh, 65 years, uh, years old. And uh, till uh, the year 2005, I worked for the city of Amsterdam. And so I came uh, uh, in a job where I uh, had to take care of uh, people who died in Amsterdam and had no one who gave the order to do a funeral. When I started this work, it was nice funerals, but they were very, very simple. There was nothing wrong with it, but there was a big difference between funerals. And I didn't like it that people who were walking on the cemetery could see, oh, this is from the city of Amsterdam. I don't want to have those differences in, uh, in, in people. So what uh, did the city of Amsterdam do when we had a funeral? We always ordered flowers. Yeah, flowers. Why uh, flowers? No one is coming to the funeral. Well, it doesn't matter. These flowers are not for me. These flowers are not for visitors. These flowers are for the, the person who passed away. It's for respect. So, flowers. While Gerfritz was slowly creating a new municipal ritual, Amsterdam poet Frank Starek had taken inspiration from a fellow writer who wrote a poem for a man who died anonymously. Toen dacht ik, dat is inderdaad prachtig. Starek reckoned this was a very worthwhile thing for a city poet to do. Toen heb ik uiteindelijk, ik geloof, gebeld of een e-mail gestuurd van... Uh, So he called Gerfrit's office to see if they were interested in his idea. They weren't. Static just kept emailing. Static persevered. He decided to continue mailing Gerfrit's until he was prepared to meet with him to talk about poems at the funeral. Suddenly my email box was filled with a request from Mr. Starik. He had a great plan, poet on the funeral. He kept on, on sending emails. What did you think? Did you think when you got these emails, this is a crazy idea? No, not a crazy idea, but I, I, I thought privacy. Yeah, it's privacy. Uh, they wanted to know things about uh, my dead persons. and uh, So you really felt responsible for all of these yeah. people yeah. that had been found dead? Yeah. On a certain day, I, uh, I uh, invited him in my office, and there we had, uh, we had a nice, uh, nice chat. Hij bood aanblik van als een beroepsmilitair. Starek remembers it a little differently. He says he went to the social services office and met a man with a direct gaze and a military bearing. Had hij van dat kort geknipte borstelige haar, een snor, een sterk gegroefd gelaat. Gerfritz had a brush cut and a trim mustache. He wore his mobile phone in a holster. He was decisive and distant. Fritz underscored the fact that the funerals must be perfectly organized. All eyes dotted, T's crossed. He was very beslist over that an outfit tot in the puntjes perfect moet verlopen and that he daar geen enkel. He would not permit any breach of protocol. Chapel, flowers, three pieces of music, four pallbearers, and above all, respect for the deceased. When he left my office, he had a bad feeling about it. And he was uh, very amazed that a few hours later, or maybe the next morning, I, I don't remember, that I phoned him and said, you want to do a poem? Okay, let's try. 
Starik. Ah. Starik says the call was brief. Okay. Geer Fritz told him uh, there was a death and gave a few details. Goed. Uh, wanneer? But Starik had the feeling he was holding back. He kept asking Fritz for more information. There wasn't much. It was an anonymous death. No one could establish the identity of the man. Yeah. Um, wie? But it was Starik's first poem, so he persevered. Where was the person found? How old were they? Fritz gave him minimal information. Okay, bedankt. Dag. I knew a lot about the people who were, who were dead. I often had information which I kept for myself. And what was the information that you, that you would hold back? Well, poets are emotions, it's feelings. And I worked with facts. An example, a uh, man died, had ten children. No child came to the funeral, not interested. That is a fact. But a poet could make very much emotions to that. And I didn't want it on the, on the funeral. And then someone died from, from alcohol. It's a fact, but I don't think it was for the poet to know that. So it was the information that you thought might make the person look bad somehow. Yeah, yeah. So correct. you really wanted to protect yeah. that person. Correct. That's correct. And and why? Why so much privacy after someone has passed on? I couldn't judge about why the children weren't interested in their parent. I couldn't judge about the alcoholic problems from other people. It's not for me to judge about it. So you worried that the poets were going to bring in that sense of, of judgment. And yeah. did they? No, they never did. Ik vond het niet zozeer frustrerend als we wel... Um, Sadek says the withholding of information didn't frustrate him. In fact, he was impressed by Gerfrit's careful approach. He found the whole situation inspiring. The first poem was born with ease. Goodbye, stranger. I say goodbye. On the road to nowhere, to the final country where everyone is welcomed in, where nothing needn't know your origin. Dag, meneer. Zonder papier. Zonder identiteit. And that is an extract of The Lonely Funeral by Michelle Ernsting. You can hear the whole piece if you go to the Radio Netherlands Worldwide website. There's a link on this programme's website. Just go to the documentary on one page on rte.ie and click on The Curious Ear.